Sometime in the 18th century, an unknown farmer began distilling in Strasbay's Glen of the Green Grass. His business prospered in this land, fertile in summer, yet bleak and austere under winter's snow. By 1836, the distillery was well founded. For 175 years, it has single-mindedly gone on, independent in ownership and outlook, continuing to make fine single malt whiskey that today the world knows as Glen Farkless. Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. Well, believe it or not, I do actually spend time planning these podcasts. I do spend time trying to get them into a sensible order of writing things to say, of getting things in a, some form of priority, some sort of standard. And of course, there are certain subjects that require that. There are some subjects that demand that sort of an attention. And there are some that really do demand that sort of attention, but you can get carried away with. Now, that is what's happened to me today. I'm apologising to you right now for what is going to be a podcast that's not been formulated in its best way. And I want to quickly tell you why. Occasionally, I have plans. Occasionally, I have ideas and I have um, an outline of what I want to do. And then my mood will get the better of me. I will get carried away with the moment. I will get excited. You know, I'm just coming up to Christmas. I'm looking at the Christmas tree and the presents underneath it. And as a child, I'd have been excited about opening those presents and getting into the goodies that are inside. A similar thing is happening to me now as an adult. I've interviewed somebody. I've read a book. And... There's things I want to tell you, and I really should sit back, process all that, lay it all out, and be organised about it. But I can't. I'm too excited. I want to share it with you now. And that's what I'm going to have to do. So I apologise if this comes over as chaotic, selfish, self-indulgent. But sometimes... That's just what I'm like. Glenn Farkless, I just found so rich and interesting. Not just the whiskey, but the distillery, the people that I've spoken to, and the book as well. Let's start with the book. It's a book that's come out to celebrate 175 years of legal distilling at Glenn Farkless. I'm holding the book in my hand at the moment and the words that i spoke at the beginning of this podcast are the words that are imprinted on the cover of this book it is a large book and it is beautiful i'm holding it in my hand and it feels soft and warm with its beautiful 
I think must be leather cover to the book with a black and red print opening up the pages it just feels full of luxury it's an imprint of Neil Wilson Publishing Limited and it's been written by Ian Buxton Glenn Farkless an independent distillery now it would be nice if just occasionally Ian Buxton could do something could write something that's bad just to give people like me something more varied to write or to say about him now the idea of being able to say this is poorly researched this is clumsily written this is lacking in understanding it's poorly developed just once it would be interesting to say about ian's books no i didn't really think much about that but Glenn Farkless is yet another book that denies me the ability to say any of those things. Once more, we find in this book the fruits of research, of wisdom and an understanding that comes from a respectful love for the subject matter. And so much more. They say you can't read a book by looking at the cover, but you can enjoy the cover. The level of production, of care and design, just quietly but confidently calls out quality. Just like the whiskey itself. Some people will say you can't taste a whiskey just by looking at it. That colour doesn't mean an awful lot. But you can enjoy it as a sensation in its own right. I love looking at whiskey. I love looking through the whiskey same goes with this book it's a thing of beauty even before you start reading it it's full of illustrations and the illustrations are very varied old photographs and reproductions of old documents and posters they all blend with new photographs of people production and place and some very interesting photographs as well including a photograph of a collapsed still the illustrations treat the eye in a similar way to the way the whiskey itself treats the palate. The sensations are varied yet balanced, allowing an exploration of texture, shape and form, rich and dark, yet with highlights of brilliance. Not just a history of the distillery, but other associated aspects as well, such as the writings of Alfred Barnard, and notably of Patterson, Elder and Co. and the dramatic repercussions that had on the whisky industry, but notably on Glenfarclas itself, because Glenfarclas and the Pattersons were tied together very closely. It's something that they, Glenfarclas, had to learn to cope with. But they coped not only with that, they also had to cope through the days of prohibition, through war, through inflation, through financial crises, all sorts of things. And this is beautifully laid out in this book. The story of Glen Farkless distillery, the story of the people, but also how that relates within the world of whiskey and in many ways the world itself in a wider form but don't be fooled into thinking that this book 
is just that it's just a history book because it isn't it's a it's a chronicle of the past but it's also a statement of the present and a hint to the future it is full of texture not just in ways of looking at the whiskey and and you know the relevant facts on that but it really does pull out the the people in here as well with close-up illustrations of not only this the distillery and there are some beautiful ones in fact at this very moment i'm looking at a double page photograph of a spirit safe and the texture and the detail and the colors it's rich it's it's dark you know i i have that feeling that if i licked the page i would be tasting beautiful sherried notes oh gorgeous but it's also a friendly book and this is how it relates to the people of the distillery again with beautiful illustrations beautiful language it gives you that hint of the characters that are there of people like alistair miller and of tommy webster to be honest you look at the photographs of them with their friendly smiling faces you read about them and before you know it you're sucked into this this wonderful expressive caring yet skillful place that is glenn farkless imagine reading this book and um having a lovely glenn farkless 15 year old for example with it sat in front of a log fire snow falling outside ah oh, come on there's not many things that could be better than that now i've read this book and i will be talking about glenn farkless on another occasion i will want to talk about the patterson crash on another occasion and i did have plans of getting that all beautifully laid out so that it told a, a story but as i said earlier i'm an excited little child i can't wait to share things with you and sharing that what i feel about this book is one of those things but i wanted to know even more about glenn farkless and one of the best ways of doing that other than of course just drinking the whiskey was to actually directly get in contact with glenn farkless and of course i did that now in recent episodes i've spoken to people like grant steveley in canada and paul curry in the lake district and andy and drew up in scotland all of whom are involved in new ventures who are starting out now paul he comes from a family that's got whiskey connections he's got a whiskey history andy and drew they also have related to people with whiskey history they have somebody there who can hold them under his wing and guide them grant he's there with a love of whiskey but is starting off even fresher cutting even new ground but today today i'm going to play you something that's in the complete contrast to that a man who may well have a youthful spirit who may well live in today's world who is contemporary who is perhaps a bit challenging at times a man full of life and full of the here and now but with that also carries history tradition 
a legacy, a heritage. We are talking Glenn Farkless. We are talking somebody who's now in the sixth generation of ownership of an independent distillery. Now, I'm recording this bit literally days after the news that Cooley's, the independent distillery, was been bought by Beam. Glen Farkless, in its time, has had people try to buy it. And it's resisted. It's resisted successfully. It's retained its independence. One of those things that it learnt from the Patterson crash. So, to talk to George Grant from Glen Farkless, about Glen Farkless, and about himself... Having spoken to so many people recently at the beginning of their their journeys, at the beginning of their projects, to then talk to somebody who is in the position that he is was such an honour, such a privilege, and interested me so much. I sat on that interview for a while without putting it out, trying to get things organised, but as I said, I'm just too excited to hold back any longer. So this is, well, what can I say? Let's call it a Christmas present to all you lot. George Grant. George, I don't know if you listen to my podcast, but over the last um, couple of episodes, I've been looking at sort of young startup businesses, one being um, an online lending facility, and there's been two... Um, not yet even open distilleries, one in Canada, one in England. Now, the distillery you're from, it's hard to describe it as being young, isn't it? It's very difficult. It's um, been around for longer than we care to remember. Yeah. um, I mean, we've been around legally for 175 years, but um, illegally for um, a couple of hundred years. Which is incredible, isn't it? But you've not only been around for that length of time, you've actually managed to maintain it as a family-owned business throughout that time. Yeah, well, I mean, unfortunately, unfortunately we didn't actually start it ourselves. We, we bought it in um, 1865, which was um, coming up for 150 years ago. So it's, so it's, um, I mean, it's still a, a, a significant milestone. But yet yeah. It's been in my family for six generations. That is absolutely wonderful. Now... Question for you then, 175 years legal distilling of Glen Farkless, does that make it old-fashioned? Does it make it traditional, or, or does it simply make it strong? Um, I, I think it definitely makes it traditional. Um, I wouldn't say it's old-fashioned. I mean, we certainly have changed with the times um, you know, as things have progressed onwards. Um, but we're, we're also very quick to react to, to marketplaces because being family-owned, we're able to you know, answer questions with one person's answer rather than having to wait for things to go you know, to, to, to a board or whatever. Mm. Yeah, so it gives you that speed of flexibility, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Well, again, 175 years, an awful lot of things have happened over that time. You've, you've gone through periods of war, prohibition, inflation rises and things like that, and of course, famously, the Patterson crash, um, yep. which hit Glen Farkless quite hard. It hit it very hard. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it's certainly the closest we've ever come to actually losing the distillery. But what, what did, did the distillery itself learn anything from that, do you think? Was there any 
positive. Uh, it, it certainly did. I mean, it, it, it learned um, to, to maintain 100% control from that day onwards. Um, I mean, it, it, it's all very well having somebody else, you know, showing you this is what we can do, this is how we can do it for you, but, you know, you're going to have to relinquish part of your company for it. But at the end of the day, you know, your life isn't in your hands anymore. Yeah. Do you think that was the point then that the distillery's um, sense of independence became really paramount? I think certainly at that point, and then obviously I think once the final debts had been paid um, and realised this is it, we're on our own now, I mean, it'd have been so easy for an awful lot of people at that point just to to, to say, "Okay, well, that's it. We've lost it. Walk away." Um, but, you know, th- that spirit of independence really drove my you know, forefathers forward to to, to ensure that the distillery is here as it is today. Mm. I have to be honest with you, though, George. I mean, it's it's actually very easy to hear these words, isn't it? They say things like, um, "By the spirit of independence." Um, uh, no, and things like that, but actually there's also an awful lot of courage behind that as well. My understanding, Glenn Farkless, is, is that it's a distillery that hasn't been afraid, or maybe it's been afraid, but it's been courageous, in actually going against the trend sometimes. I think we've always gone against the trend. I mean, it's, um, that, that's true to say, definitely for what stocks we have in the warehouse. Um, you know, my, my grandfather you know, famously said, you know, he looked at what everyone else was doing, and he said everyone was cutting back, so he increased production for those years. Yeah. Um, you know, he realized if there's a shortage, um, if they've got a shortage in 20 years' time, we're going to have the stocks to be able to fill that hole. Um, and, you know, and other things as well, I mean, we're not an innovative distillery um, in, 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 the, in the modern sense of it, but, you know, this, we've never done any finishing, we've never done any um, you know, experimental um, w- with maturation. Um, but but saying that you know forty fifty years ago we did experiment with different things you know we we did fill into port casks fill into cognac casks and fill into different types of sherry casks um, and it, it's some of those bottlings that we're actually doing at the moment so everyone's saying oh you're just being young and trendy you know you're doing things that other people are doing but we're having to say to people well actually you know this was done in nineteen sixty seven this was done in nineteen sixty um, it's it's not a modern phenomenon it's something that was done a very long time ago hmm. um, but I mean, it was it was during those times that we started doing these things that we realised that, you know, what we really want for going far is to mature it in Oloroso Sherry casks. Sure. And that, of course, also has an impact upon its reputation because the sideline from what you're saying to that is you seem to be putting more emphasis into the quality of the product rather than, than just pure experimentation. Exactly. I mean, not even just the whiskey, but I mean, p- packaging as well. You know, we were much rather people drank the product and liked the product, mm. um, not necessarily, you know, um, bought, bought the bottle because the, the box looks nice. Sure. But now, I don't know the answer to this. I've got one. I've got a horrible feeling that I should know the answer to this, and that I must ask you this question because it's one of those questions that bugs me. The Glen Farkless logo, the name Glen Farkless. Mm-hmm. Where has that come from? Because that seems to have been around for a long, long time. That was how my great-grandfather wrote Glenn Farkless, so it was basically like his signature. No, I thought it would be. It's, uh, so it, it's not been around for as long as the company has, but it's um, but my great-grandfather, that was, um, that was how he wrote it. And you, you kept that going. Um, that, that, that's, that's been the, um, 
you know, various different marketing people with the company have come and gone. Um, but, you know, people have tried to change various different things, but one thing that's always stayed the same is that the Gonfarcus is in that script, it's written as so, it's at that angle, and um, it's in that red, and that will never change. Mm. But it also makes it instantly recognisable, doesn't it? I think I think so. I mean, it's, um, I do remember going down to Australia though for the first time, um, you know, over a decade ago, and, and, and seeing all these bottles. And I was thinking, my God, are these all going far? Let's then sort of walk a bit closer and realise it's Penfold's wine. You know, it's <laughs> they, they seem to have a very similar sort of script on their bottles too. Yeah. So can I read you something? Sure. It's got something in front of me, and as soon as I start reading this, I think you'll recognise what it is. Um, but it says, The King of Whiskies and the Whiskey of Kings. Yep. In its superiority, it is something to drive the skeleton from the feast and paint landscapes in the brain of man. It is to be found the sunshine and shadow that chased each other over the billowy cornfield, the hum of the bee, the hope of the spring, the breath of May, the cowl of the lark, the distant purple heather in the mountain mist, and the wealth of autumn's rich content, all golden with imprisoned light. Now, you'll recognise that, because that is about Glen Farkless. Yep. Beautiful description. Um, how does it feel, I know it's a sort of a bland question, but how does it feel being so closely associated to something that can bring out that level of poetry in somebody else? I mean, it's you know, it's a strange sort of sensation you know, being part of of a Fisky dynasty, um, you know, and looking at the Fisky, and especially you know looking back at some of the Fisky that we still have in the warehouses was made by my grandfather and great grandfather. Um, you know, it really does make you very very humble when when you also see what people how people talk about your the product and how people appreciate the product. Um, you, you, I really find myself getting very passionate about it when you know you are standing up in front of people talking about the the whiskey, talking about the history, talking about the heritage. But then you also just have to realise that you want to be able to ensure that that quality is still going to be there for the, the next generation or for the generation after that. Mm. Um, I mean, it's 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 very humbling as well when you're standing up talking about forty year old, fifty year old whiskey. And you realise, you know, I wasn't even born when this whiskey was made, sure. um, and and I'm standing up there in, in basic terms, you know, taking credit for something that that you know, few, previous generations have actually done. Um, but then it also makes you realise how small you are, that the fact that you know, some of the whiskey that your children or your children's children are going to sell or to stand up and talk about, um, it's just being made today. You're never going to have get, get that chance. That is a humbling thing, actually, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Does that also carry with it though, a huge sense of responsibility? Um, to a degree, it certainly does. I mean, it's, um, you know, everybody always asks that you know, famous question, how, how do you maintain independence? Um, you know, it's a very simple answer, you just keep saying no. Because um, you, you can only ever sell a product once. Um, once you've sold it, that's it, it's gone forever. Um, you know, but, we want to be able to produce what we're doing and, and maintain the quality. I mean, as that, that famous quote says, you know, we want to make sure that we are doing what we're doing forever. Hmm. Can I ask you a personal question? Go ahead. What age were you when you first began to realise that you were actually part of something full of such tradition and heritage and, and, and importance? 
into about 20, 25 markets for export. We're now over 50 markets for export, and um, you know, still got quite a few more countries to go. Yeah. And my understanding is, when your grandfather was doing that, that was again one of those things that was really bucking the trend. Most other places wasn't weren't doing that at that point. Oh, definitely. But I mean, it was it was obviously you know a huge hardship then because suddenly realised well we're not going to we can't sell this stuff. We're going to leave it in the warehouse for however long we need to. Yeah. Recently, I was talking to Tolly Barden's John Black, and he was saying to me about the way that the whiskey industry was changing, that um, he felt that the whiskey itself was still good quality, but that the industry itself was losing some of its characters. Is that something you, you'd share the view of, or, or do you feel different things to that? I don't, I don't think it's even... I think that... The industry did, certainly did lose an awful lot of characters, but I mean, every industry does. It's um, it, you know, it's, it's called a generational change, um, but it does just always take time for new characters to develop to come through. Um, as people you know, pro- progress through the industry, they, they make themselves their own characters. I mean, there's there's plenty of industry characters still around, but obviously one of the big factors at the moment is is there's much much less companies. Um, you know, 30 years ago, there was considerably more whiskey companies than there are today, because there's been so many you know mergers and everything that have happened. So, of course, there's much less people in total in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose the other thing is, always when you look at the past, you remember certain people, mm-hmm. and people will be doing that in the future, looking back at people like yourself, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a simple story. The grass is always greener, isn't it? Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to just ask you one question about the distillery itself, which isn't to do with whiskey. <laughs> but when I was, I was sort of reading a bit about Glenfarclas, and it just struck me as, as, as quite interesting. Well, I've said this a few times now, 175 years legal. But actually, it wasn't until, I think it was 1988, that, the herd of Aberdeen Angus um, yep. was stopped, I and mean, up to that point, it was still also a farm as well. It was. Yep. How how important was it to keep the farming going, and what impact did it have when it when it stopped? Well, I mean, we were farmers. I mean, that, that's where the, the history of my family came from. Um, we owned a farm further up the valley, and you know, we we bought Glenfarclas as basically a a place to fatten up the cattle before taking them to market. It just so happened that they had a distillery stuck on the side of it called Glenfarclas. Um, so it was very important for us, the, the, the whiskey side of it, sorry, the, the farming side of it, because that's where our, our heritage and history was, in fact, actually. For us, everyone just presumes it's whiskey. But um, you know, at the time, we had the second oldest herd of Aberdeen and Angus. Um, but at that time, in 1988, you know, the decision really had to be made, what are we going to do? Are we going to be full-time farmers or are we going to be full-time distillers? Mm. And the decision was made, um, distilling is. I mean, it was, it was a sad day when the, you know, the final castle actually went away. But um, yeah, I, I think in hindsight, we certainly did this at the very right time. And you know, it was after that time you had your foot mouth outbreaks, you had the mad cow disease outbreak. Yeah, and you came out of it at a, at a good time for another reason, because I believe you were 
you were quite well respected in the in the, the cattle industry as well. You you'd won a few awards and stuff. Well, an awful lot of awards, but um, you bred bred some very famous cows, and um, very very famous bulls, in fact. But um, no, the time was um, time to change. Yeah, brilliant. But new challenges come up, new things come up, and recently. Um, I've been, I got sent a little sample, which I still haven't tasted yet, to be honest. Um, I'm saving that for, to taste with a friend of mine for a special reason. Um, and that is a, a nine-year-old Glenfarclas, which is the whiskey that was chosen to be the Movember yep. whiskey. Well, what was that like, being part of, of that venture? Oh, it, was, it was very, very nice. I mean, it was... Um, it, it's it, we're not typically known as a uh, you know, as a whiskey that's an awful lot for, for, for charities etc. But this was um, you know, something we could really get behind. Um, I mean, it was solely driven really by the guys at Master of Malt. They were very keen by the by, by being able to do a whiskey for November and contacted us. And we'd be able to help. And um, I, I said yes, we would be absolutely honoured to be able to help. Mm. Um, and so then. You know, we we selected these two casks put together, um, to try to we reduce reduce costs as much as possible, so that um, so we, we could of course give as much money to charity as possible. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's great. And for all the accounts that I've heard, and I say I've not tasted it yet myself, but from all the accounts I've heard, it, it's a cracking good whiskey. But it, there's no no surprises there really, I suppose. Yeah, no, I mean it's. Um, <laughs> It's it's just a, it was I thought it was a nice thing to do and you know it was only sold by one or two retailers at the end of the day. Um, however, you know every other retailer that I did speak to was so proud of the fact that we'd done it, um, and you know really got behind it as well. And a lot of those retailers went and bought the bottle as well. You know I always thought it was amazing the fact that other retailers were in fact buying it from a from a, from another retailer. So it was a very nice thing to do. Yeah. Did. That also brings you up to uh, uh, an event that's happening here now in the present. So you've got all this history from Glenfarclas, but it's it also is showing the story relating in the day-to-day, modern-day arena. I just wanted to share something with you, um, and that is a very small little thing, but the last whiskey festival I went to, I had this lovely little moment where there were three young lads at their first whiskey festival, they saw me interviewing somebody, came up, spoke to me a little bit, and um, kept coming up to me during the day saying, you know, what would be a good one to do this for, and we got talking. At the very end of the day, I met up with them again, and I asked them, you know, what's the whiskeys you've liked the best then? What, if you had to pick out one, which would your favourite be? And straight away, the answer was Glen something or other, Glen for... What was it? Yeah, I think it was again Glen Farkless, they said. Just loved it. They really liked the sherried nature of it. <laughs> and I thought that was just so great that these young lads, you know, could actually pick out not only the sherry quality, but actually appreciate it as well. Um, so all that history, but still catching the very early stages. You know, the people that are just beginning to taste whiskey, it's still appealing to them. No, exactly. That, that's what it's all about. You know, it's, um it's all well and good to be able to sell whiskey to existing whiskey drinkers, but the, the real challenge that we're facing is to, to ensure we've got new, new interest in the product as well. Yeah, yeah. 
So we're coming to the end now of the 175th year. There's been celebrations, I'm sure. There's been a release of the 175 whiskey. Yep. What's about 176 and onwards? What can we look forward to? For the future. Well, next year um, we'll be releasing um, a 43-year-old whiskey that was matured in cognac casks for its entire life. Um, so it's just a very limited run of that. And also, um, one of the whiskies we're very famous for is the Glenfarclas 105, which is a cask strength whiskey, um, which is at 60% alcohol. It's um, three years ago we launched a 40-year-old version of the 105, which was to celebrate the 40th anniversary of it. So that was in uh, 2008. And um, so it made the decision to carry the theme on. So we're going to do a 20-year-old 105 for next year. Um, and then the hope is, you know, in every every two or three years, we'll be able to release a new 105 to to the public to um, you know, to, to, to re-emphasise the fact that you know we have this great whiskey in our warehouses, and some of it's at very high strength. Brilliant. Well, George, I really look forward to, to tasting some of that. Um, and what can I say? All I can say really is thank you very much for being part of this this wonderful substance that you you bring out. Um, this this king of whiskies. Um, and also thank you very much for spending the time to, to talk to me tonight. No problem at all, and I wish you all the best with future, future presentations, future tastings, and of course your fantastic blog. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you again for listening to this episode of the More to Muse podcast. If you haven't heard them already, there is a back catalogue of other episodes available on iTunes. And if anybody wants to contact me, they can do so. My email address is jim at themaltedmuse.com. There's the website, www.themaltedmuse.com. And there's also Twitter, Twitter at themaltedmuse. So thank you again for listening. I hope you'll listen next week. And until then, thank you and goodbye.